Hi there, everybody, and welcome back to the Comic Obsessive. This is episode, is this 13, Adam? I think, I think that's right. Lucky number 13, a very lucky number. And the last time that we were recording, we promised you something potentially special uh, on this episode, and it worked out, and we're very excited for a very special episode. So as always, I'm Jason Dehart, and I'm Adam Piles. And unfortunately, we don't have any sponsors, but we do have uh, the wonderful Bob Hall with us. Uh, Hello. Joining this this episode. And usually we focus on a particular issue. So we're looking at Avengers 214 this time around. But uh, we also have some questions for Bob that focus on not only the Avengers and Marvel, but a few of the other works that he has engaged with. So very excited to have you, Bob. Thank you. And uh, we're, we're just going to allow you to sort of share whatever you like. So we have a couple of questions that we've shared with you, but if you want to go Maverick and go Rogue and talk about uh, another topic or something like that, that's totally fine too. We're, we're conversational and flexible around here. So I want it to work in the best way possible. Okay. Um, so I'll hand it to Adam for just a moment to talk about this issue 214, because it's one that's actually really special to him. And uh, he is in the in the stages of getting laryngitis here. So I'll do a little bit of the, the talking and, and tell the jokes and things. Um, so essentially what happens in this issue, I'm going to go broad strokes here, Adam, and then please fill in anything that I miss as well as what drew you to talk about this issue. Uh, so this issue takes place in a very special time in the Avengers pantheon. Lots of characters. I, I was impressed with the way all of the characters balanced out. And uh, Bob's art was dynamic and wonderful. We were talking about that a little bit before he jumped on here with us. And essentially we're looking at a story that's based in relationships. So, uh, Steve Rogers, Captain America, is dealing with some of uh, the actions that he's had to take with one of the other members that would be Ant-Man, uh, Hank Pym, and then, of course, uh, Tigra or Tigra. Is it Tigra or Tigra? Or do we get to pick? Yeah, I think oh. oh, Bob Hall, you, you say. <laughs> I, even, I don't, even I don't know the answer. Oh, okay. So we'll just go with Tigra because that sounds like a fancy car. Um, mm -hmm. So, so Tigra is part of this story, and I, I love the way all of the characters come together. And the real star of the show—I mean, the center of the narrative to me—is Ghost Rider being this anti-hero, um, sort of trying to really balance out his powers. And we have uh, Angel William Worthington the Third that comes in. Uh, and all of this story kind of comes together in this beautiful way and a, a great arc for uh, Ghost Rider as well as the other characters in the story. So, Adam, did I miss anything about the story that you'd like to throw out there? I just thought it was so I think he did a great job. I, I think it's just so heavy on the emotion with like Ghost Rider being such a kind of like a fallen hero, you know, on such hard times. Mm -hmm. And um the, the way the whole issue kind of resolves itself just has always stuck with me. And um, I'll go ahead and talk a little bit about like what I kind of brought to the issue. Um, when I, when I got this, when I was a kid, I got it secondhand and that cover um, by Bob here, man, did, that, that drew me right in. Mm -hmm. um, I think this was my intro to the ghost rider. And I gotta say, I don't think I could ask for a better intro to the character 
but through uh, Bob Hall's art here. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. And so the, the issue has always stuck out to me as being, you know, from my childhood, but also, again, just the art. And you mentioned at one point that you had a connection to him. And I was like, wait a minute, did you say Bob Hall? That's that's the guy who drew the issue that we're, we're thinking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. And so just the the dynamic art in this and how well it's just structured and, and put together, it just always, always made such a huge impression on me. So uh, that's, that's, you know, that's the thing <clears throat> that drew me to this issue, I think, was the art. All right. Awesome. Um, and so that's, that's kind of typically what we do here, Bob. We, we sit around, we make jokes, and we talk about comics we love. We tend to keep it pretty positive, and uh, we tend to talk about the things that we love because we both kind of had this history in comics. We both teach with them. And so we've got a couple of questions for you. And again, if you want to take it in a different direction, that is totally fine. But, you know, we kind of talked about what drew us um, to comics and this issue. Uh, so I'm curious, just to start out, I always like to ask about author and artist origins. So what was the thing that initially drew you to comics? Um, I uh, had read comics. I'm 79 years old. Uh, am I 79 or 78? 78 years old. Uh, and uh, so I'm from that era when you stopped reading comics when you were about 12 years old or 13. They were designed mm -hmm. that. And, uh, but I, but I always loved comics and I loved to draw when I was a kid. Uh, and I had a, um, sort of strange experience when I, uh, was four years old before I even learned to read, I, um, was in the hospital and I had, um, I was vomiting blood and my oh, parents yes. of course, were, 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 were horrified and, and, and scared. And they, uh, took me to the hospital and, uh, uh, strangely enough, I, I was feeling fine, but they kept looking at me saying, no, no, we don't run the tests and you're, you're sick, but we don't know what's wrong with you. And I was in the hospital for several days in the children's part. And fortunately, they put me in a private room. That's fortunate, I'll tell you in a minute. But uh, they kept trying to pacify me because I felt okay. And I was up, you know, jumping up and down on the bed. I'm four years old. And they started bringing me things to pacify me. And they brought me, they started bringing me comic books. And uh, they, there was no uh, pay attention being paid as to whether they were appropriate for a <laughs> four-year-old or not. They just wanted to shut me up somehow. And uh, so I kept getting this stack of comic books. And uh, eventually, they were, they were actually going to run tests on me. Uh, I don't know exactly what, but they were starting to wheel me out. And the nurse noticed I was scratching behind my uh, left ear. And she looked back and said, oh, there's a rash back here. I think I better have the doctor take a look at that. And the doctor came in and said, oh, my God, you have measles. And oh, what wow. I was intestinal measles. They, they just never came out. I had them, but they, they weren't appearing. And they said, you, you're going to be fine. Uh, we're going to send you home immediately because you're contagious. And by the way, since you're contagious, you have to take that bag of comic books home with you. Oh, well. <laughs> so I was introduced to all kinds of comics, including even EC comics when I was four years old. Oh. And, and, and it was a huge impulse to learn to read. So that's how I got interested in comics. 
Uh, then I then I stopped reading them for a long time, and I was a theater major, and I was going to go to New York to try to be a director in the theater. I was looking for some way to support myself because the danger in going to New York when you were a poor kid, which I was, uh, was that you immediately had to get work. And I went out to visit friends and realized that they were all involved in works that took up all their time. Uh -huh. uh, and I said, God, that isn't going to work. What am I going to do? And somebody said, I've got to find a marketable skill that I can do on my own. And somebody said, why don't you, you've always liked comic books. Why don't you start um, drawing, trying to draw comic books? And I said, okay. And he gave me a stack of comics. Now, I hadn't read comics for years. This was 1970 or so. And it was, of course, a renaissance time in comics. You know, if you looked at the art, it was Barry Windsor Smith was still doing Conan, which was the first thing he gave me. Uh, Bernie Rison was doing all the Warren books. Uh, Neil Adams was everywhere. Uh, uh, John Buscema was in his heyday. Uh, Joe Kubert was, uh, I, think, I think he was just starting to do Tarzan. Uh, uh, Kirby had just finished up at Marvel and was over at DC doing the, the new gods. You know, it, it, in other words, it was just this great time to be, to be looking at comics for the first time in years. But I also thought, my God, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. To, I, I can't compete with these guys, but really want to. And so I started working on portfolios and stuff because this combined everything I'd ever done. Storytelling. Uh, essentially, my whole life has been about storytelling. And uh, so I worked and worked and got rejected and rejected, went to some of the first comic cons in New York, uh, uh, met a lot of interesting people. Jerry Conway was very nice to me and gave me a lot of good advice. And I met Bob Layton and Byrne and Roger Stern, uh, all these people that were doing their own uh, fan-based fan comics at that time and, and also working for Charlton. And they suggested I apply there. I eventually got some work from Charlton. Then John Buscema started teaching a course in how to draw comics. That eventually was research for how to draw comics the Marvel way, that great book that he and, he and Stan wrote. But John basically wrote the book Stan, uh, Stan added the quips, and, <laughs> and John felt he had to teach a class in order to know what to write in the book. Uh, and uh, so I auditioned for the class and got in, and at the end of the class, John got me a job at Marvel. That's how I got in. There's, that's wow. the long story. Wow. Well, uh, other than the job at Marvel, we have... I think we have a lot in common. My comics origin also started in the hospital. I think it's must be just a great place to get comics. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I had double pneumonia and my parents bought me comics. And I think you mentioned some of those uh, issues and runs that have also meant a lot to us. We, I, I grew up and was reading comics in the eighties, but Conan, man, that was, that was one of those first characters and books that I connected with. Um, so yeah, I like anything that goes on and on. I think it, 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 it was never as strong as it was in the first maybe five years or, or decade of its existence. But man, were that, was it good back then when Roy was doing it and Barry and then John took it over? It, there was, it was just great stuff. It really was. It, it, was, it was magical. That, that stuff was a, a huge influence on, on me as well. Um, I, I like that you said that your life had kind of been about storytelling because... I think I mentioned it, but I thought that was 
one of the greatest strengths of this comic was just such clear, concise storytelling. I mean, I see that Jim Shooter wrote it, and I know that you uh, worked with Jim Shooter at Valiant as well. Is that correct? Um, yes and no. Oh. I, uh, um, Jim, I was not getting... There was just a time when I wasn't getting as much work from Marvel as I had when Jim was there. Uh, Jim had said, call me up in Valiant. So he, uh, I called up and asked for work. Mm-hmm. And I had written plays, but I'd never written comics. I don't know why. I just, I think probably because I, I, for a long time, I still considered, well, the comics are supporting my theater habit. So I'll focus the writing on the theater. And Jim said, are you crazy? Why don't you come over here and write for us? We need writers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave me a choice of, uh, I think, five different books uh, of, to pick one of those, and, and, uh, which was very nice. And, and uh, I picked Shadow Man because it was set in New Orleans and also because it wasn't really working. Uh, there had been, I think, three, six issues. There had mm-hmm. been about three different writers and three different artists, I think. Um, it, was, it was floundering. It just wasn't quite clear. Of, of the various characters, this one seemed to be not quite working. And I thought, well, that's a great place to start for your first writing because it's, uh, if you screw up, you're in good company. And if you succeed, you, you, you can manage. And I, I think it did succeed. They allowed me to reboot it more or less. And, and so uh, I did that. But by the time I had come up with my first story arc, Jim had been forced out of the company. Yeah. I, so I only kind of worked for Jim at Valiant, uh, but uh, I'm still grateful for the. Uh, so when I think of Valiant, I I, I, th- I still think of Jim first. Oh, okay. <laughs> that that sort of I, I was looking through the Shadow Man issues too, and so that that shed some light because I was like, okay, where where did Bob start? And it was issue six, and you did like a. There's like a number zero out there too, right? That yeah. allows you to kind of retcon some of the things. Yeah, they 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 um were were doing. They were calling their origin stories. They would back up to their to the origins and uh, uh, expand those. And those were always called issue zero. But in my case, it was a way to uh, change some stuff that we all agreed had to be. Um, change something about spider aliens or something like that and that had to do with how this happened and we thought no no it really it really ought to be voodoo based and mm-hmm. uh, i managed somehow to um change change that around without without dismissing it and that was the one of the one of the tougher things and i started with issue six because i don't think anybody it, maybe it says in issue six who wrote it but it, it did co drew it mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and it was plotted by many hands i think and and i got to uh, they asked me if i would write the dialogue for it so officially i started with issue six but i didn't really start it didn't become my story until the next one. Oh, gotcha okay. but i got but i sort of got to work with ditko he of course was nowhere to be seen but I, at least i got to uh, to write words over ditko's pencils and that was that was fun it was yeah. that was kind of a thrill. It wasn't even the the best. It wasn't the best Ditko stuff you've ever seen, but it was Ditko. Right. I mean, you and still you're a legend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, 
I, I still get thrills with that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, hugely entertaining too. Like the atmosphere in that book, like the way the voodoo kind of comes through. It's uh, makes it a really interesting read. It was it was fun, and that was again why I picked New Orleans, and also because it was uh, slightly out of the of the Valiant. It was it was in a corner of the Valiant universe, so I got a feeling had a feeling that maybe I could kind of maybe they would kind of let me do what I wanted, and in fact, they did. Uh, Bob Layton became the editor, and he's he. he I, there were people going through. He was he was. They immediately started trying to sell the company once mm -hmm. Jim had been forced out, and they would be bringing people through and introducing the artists. And every once in a while, I'd go down and work in, in the office. And uh, uh, when they were bringing somebody through and they said, this is, this is Don Perlin and he, he's been drawing bloodshot and our, our, our spy book and the assassin book. And this book is this and this is that. And they said, and this is Bob Hall who draws Shadow Man, which is, well, it's odd. <laughs> and I, took, I took that as, and I took that as quite a compliment. Uh, uh, Bob once told me that he never, he, I was the only book that he didn't read before it went to print. Don Perlin was a my editor, and he was a great editor. And uh, he said, "I just he would just wait to see what the hell I'd done." <laughs> and and it was fun because we got to you know I did a lot of voodoo stuff, but I, I thought. There's a lot of opportunities down there to go this way or that way. I could do satire. I could do a heavy duty horror. I could do all kinds of things with it and, and, and tried to mix it up a bit. I had a lot of fun with that. That's great. I would like to ask you about um, another uh, instance of your work, the Emperor Dune uh, graphic novel. Uh, what were your thoughts about working on that? It's such an impressive story. Well, it was, uh, it, I, I, I consider that probably the best thing I ever did at Marvel. Uh, it just in terms of, of the way it looked, I thought it turned out well. And I got to ink it myself because it wasn't in continuity. So I had the time to ink it. So that made it, made me very happy. Um, I had, I feel it was the third time I did that story. And it was, I think, a story that Jim particularly liked and that David Michelinie liked. And back when I was doing uh, Supervillain Team Up, they had a, a time where they combined Supervillain Team Up, met uh, the champions, and... Um, it was another story where, in this case, a gas that Doom had found that made everybody in the world believe him. Uh -huh. And so we did that, and it was okay. And then a few years later, I'm work, working on the Avengers, and I'm working with uh, Jim. And I think he called this the Cosmic Eraser story. Suppose with this eraser, you could control all the minds in the world. And in, the, in this case, it was Moondragon, but basically the same thing, that that you, there was no free will and that she could control the minds. And I think maybe maybe somehow Jim associated me with this or, but I think he kept forgetting that I had drawn this story before. <laughs> and so finally we got to do it with, with Emperor Doom. And that, that was the, uh, that finally got the story, I think, right. Um, I mean, the others were okay, but that, that one really, really worked for me. And, uh, 
In fact, uh, years and years later, there's a guy named Leonard Pitt who uh, writes editorial stuff for the Miami Herald, but it's syndicated and he was in my, he's in my local paper. And he uh, referenced Emperor Doom in one of his editorials. Oh, uh, nice. And so I, I sent him a letter and he sent wrote back and it was, it was, it was, that, it was again, one of those real th thrills when you read, uh, when you realize I'm from the era when real people started reading comic books, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. Um, you said that you uh, inked your own art here in Emperor Doom. Is that correct? That's correct. Can I ask you, um, what do you, what did you use to ink? Was it a brush? Was it a pen? Anything that would make black marks <laughs> uh, has been my, usually I think with that one, I used both a, a gillet pen point and a, um, uh, Number two Windsor uh, Windsor Newton uh, series seven brush uh, that which was just the standards those were the standards of the industry at the time uh, markers people hadn't really started using markers that much but we we all used them there were certain things that you would use a, a sharpie for back even back then to uh, maybe fill in a black area or to do if you were doing uh, Kirby crackle. Uh, people had started using uh, Sharpies to do a Kirby crackle instead of what Kirby did, which was dip, dipping the end of a, an eraser uh, pencil in, into the ink and using the eraser to make the dots. Uh, which I, is, I, I don't know if Kirby did that or if that was one of his inkers that invented that, but probably Kirby. But that's at least that's how they told me that, that Kirby did that. I've tried it a few times and said, I think I better stick to the Sharpie. <laughs> I had never heard that about the erasers. That that's fasc fascinating. I love hearing like the the artist perspective on creating the the actual art and something anybody can try. Get yourself a number two pencil and a bottle of ink, and you can try making Kirby crackle. Um, you also just uh, <clears throat> validated what I just told my my comic class that I teach. Um, I said the the Windsor Newton uh, number two was the industry standard and so uh, I'm glad you backed me up on that so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about now yeah you know you'd you'd, you'd use a sometimes a uh, number three or number four to fill in black areas and uh, I kept a number one around to do fine work with but usually I would do that work with a with a uh, uh, a pen of some kind the, the gillet or or I used coquille pens a lot too okay I, I was just curious how you captured the atmosphere of it because this image of the Submariner, um, it's like a big splash page where he's walking towards us and the nights behind him and the silhouette of the city. Yeah, it's, that was one of my favorite pages. <laughs> I, I love that page. Yeah, mine too. And, and that was, yeah, that was a lot of, a lot of pen work and a lot of, it, it was all, all ink at that point. I, I, I tend to use markers more now than I did then. Okay. Um, well, Jason, I feel like I've jumped in here with several questions. No, no by all means, by all means. I, just, I was just going to say it's it's an epic book and yeah, uh, certainly a beautiful book. And I I also love the centering of the character, the Submariner character, and bringing the Purple Man out uh, to more of a a central role there too. Yeah. yeah. 
Yes, and I and I, I was the uh, having the purple man. The purple man was always fun, and the idea that that doom was will was too strong to be handled by the purple man was was fun. I also really liked. I always liked uh, uh, Power Man, and uh, uh, I was pleased that he got a major featured role in this book because he usually was, you know, somebody who stood slightly to the back until somebody had to lift a tank or something. Um, but uh, uh, he got his due in that book. So I, and I, 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 I've always liked him since then. I like, and I liked the, uh, the, uh, when I did him in, in the uh, West Coast Avengers, I always, I, I liked the bush jacket just because it was so insanely crazy. A red bush jacket. Who, yeah. wears, who the hell wears a red bush jacket? But it's kind of fun. Yeah, that's that's one of the interesting things about comics is that you can get away with so many visual elements like that that you couldn't in a movie or uh, a show or something. You know, they got to ground it in reality, but comics is just so imaginative. I I've kind of appreciated that Marvel has has you know that if the old costumes have shown up, they found ways to have those show up on the TV series. Mm -hmm. um, so Loki runs into. Some, to the guy who's wearing the old Loki costume, <laughs> and, and obviously the the Scarlet Witch and 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 the Vision, and uh, even uh, Luke Cage, they found a way, a reason why he wore that metal thing around his head back yeah. in the in the early comics. I I thought that was just that were those were just kind of Easter egg gifts to to us old time fans. Yeah, and Richard Grant. I mean, as as oh, well, Richard Grant Loki. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like wow. Okay, that <laughs> was actually also going to talk a little bit about West Coast Avengers because I think that was my introduction to the Avengers at all. Uh, you know, back growing up, it would be sort of whatever comic I would come across would sort of be my introduction to characters and teams. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think you and I also have that connection because you were one of the the minds behind West Coast Avengers. So. Uh, and Adam's holding up a, an issue there of West Coast Avengers. You won. Yeah. Yes, I just I just answered somebody on uh, on either Messenger or I, th I think probably Messenger who had, who had said who is the character next to Iron Man, uh, <laughs> uh, which of course is the Dazzler. Mm -hmm. uh, but nobody knows that character anymore. That was one of one of the ones that didn't quite ever make it. Uh, I, I love those characters that are sort of like the, I guess, not the forefront characters. I mean, Moon Knight. Moon Knight was one that I absolutely loved from West Coast Avengers and uh, was very invested in and it, across multiple incarnations. I, I loved uh, Moon Knight. Um, I uh, uh, did him in a couple of once in a team up and once in uh god i can't remember what the name of it was but we did it was it was an all monster all the monsters meeting in 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 some issue and and it was uh uh moon knight i never got to draw him in the west coast avengers because the time he had, by the time it went monthly i was doing something else i can't remember whether it was either willow or squadron supreme i think squadron supreme mm -hmm. And by the time they decided it had legs and went monthly, so I didn't. I didn't do the monthly. I just did the uh, four-issue miniseries. 
on that one. But I, but that was a breakthrough issue for me. That somewhere in there, I decided that I, I liked, I, that I liked the drawings that I was doing, and I think it was the first time that I had really thought uh, I was really satisfied with my work. Uh, now, that's not to say that, you know, I know people really, really. I'm, I'm constantly impressed that people really, really like the art in those Avengers ones that Avengers 14 and all the ones that he did. I thought it was, I, I did not. I, th I, I, and, and my, I think a lot of it turned out well, but man, I was doing a lot of late night, uh, burning the midnight oil. And I decided it was because I was constantly erasing. I, I never thought it was good enough. And so, uh, after I did the Avengers with Jim, I started taking, uh, uh, I went back to, to, to class. In effect, I, I started going to a studio and drawing models for the next uh, several years. I would just do it regularly, religiously on Saturday, always on Saturday and often on Wednesday night. And um, it really changed my whole approach to how I was drawing the figure because I was all of a sudden I was looking at real bodies instead of copying the way other people had done superheroes in the past, you know. So, so West Coast Avengers is very, I'm very fond of, of that one. I'll tell you a story, a side, a side issue story about Moon Knight, if you want to hear it. By but, all means, absolutely. I have always, I've always thought I was the kind of person that could not be conned. I think everybody feels that. They'll, look, they'll read about some con and they think, well, that would never happen to me. Mm -hmm. But at one point, I was uh, contacted by ostensibly Andy Kubert, who said that he had been asked to work on a Moon Knight uh, series they, that was supposed to be about maybe eight to 10 issues and that he didn't feel competent to write it, wanted to draw it, but, but had liked Shadow Man. And, you know, it was all this stuff that it was, it, and I worked on that and I thought, wow, yeah, get back tomorrow now this was not that long ago this was maybe eight ten years ago uh-huh and uh, i thought wow i get back to doing working for marvel and can come up with a story and he said we want to get it really really working before we present it to the editor and so we worked it and back and forth and this is all on email no mm -hmm. phone coverage no email and eventually some red flags went up and i said this is now, this doesn't make sense. We should be talking to an editor by now because he kept postponing that. And do you, you know Danny Fingeroth? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. uh, Danny's an old friend of mine. And I, I was beginning to become, this is something very odd here. And Danny had been, been basically now doing a lot of comics historians. And uh, he's a comics historian. And he has been... Uh, uh, interviewing tons of people he has just about everybody's contact information and i said is, is this andy kubert's contact is this his email and finger said no that's not his email oh my goodness and he gave me he gave me andy's email and i contacted him he said no i've never met you and uh so i got back and i said i emailed whoever this was and said okay it's clear to me that this is a fraud I can't figure out why you're doing this. 
but I'm not even angry. I'm just fascinated. <laughs> Can you please don't, please don't stop emailing me just just tell me why because i was thinking i can get a i can get a magazine article out of this or something it, it, but i needed to get the he immediately closed down the the account huh and i've never heard anything since and i was and i've been more wary <laughs> of anything since then but it's one of the oddest things there's no money was involved he wasn't yeah. trying to pay for money I think it may have been just somebody that wanted very badly to be part of the world. Oh, wow. That's all I can figure out. Uh, So there, that's a story that nobody else is going to give you. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Do you still have the Moon Knight story that you uh, came up with? Uh, Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's, it, it, it was so different from anything, any place they've been going that I, that I'm sure there's no interest in it, but. I probably should contact somebody at Marvel sometime and say, but I kind of just wanted to put it away and not, I mean, I, I felt, I didn't feel angry, but I did feel burned and I sort of didn't yeah. even want to look at it for a while. Maybe I should look at it again. It would be, it would be uh, good to see the light of day, <laughs> uh, unfortunate circumstances, but definitely a, an interesting story for how it came to be. And I mean, with that character, there are so many places that yeah. uh, I feel like they could take it. So yeah. uh, well, if, any, if there are any Marvel editors listening to this podcast, this is the first time I've, I've, I've mentioned this to anybody on in on a media basis, and you're welcome to contact me, and I will tell you where I would have headed with it. But yeah, for sure. I, I was going to do the plug for you, but you absolutely. If there are any Marvel editors out there, there's a good Moon Knight story to be had. I noticed another character that you have on this uh, <clears throat> first issue of West Coast Avengers is the Shroud. And mm-hmm. I always thought that would be such an interesting team up visually, Moon Knight and the Shroud. Yes. Uh, and in fact, that is what I drew when I did the Marvel team up was it was it was Moon Knight Shroud. And I probably wasn't team up it was one of the team quote team up books. I can't remember which one it is now, but it was that was that was what happened. They, Moon Knight met the Shroud. Well, I'm gonna have to look that up because that sounds perfect to me. Just yeah, you, you penciling that that sounds amazing, like an amazing tale. How um, you mentioned, you know, that you had seen the Loki show and you'd seen the these old uh, costumes pop up as like a nod to the fans. As somebody who worked on the Avengers, you know. Uh, they became a household name with the MCU. How, how do you feel seeing these characters that you drew and um, you know had so much experience with become household names and up on the big screen? How do you feel about that? Oh, well, it was a thrill. I, I mean, I, I just think it was, uh, they were done well uh, for the most part. I mean, there were a couple of weak ones, but uh, for the most part, I thought the Avengers were, were done very, very well. Uh, the amazing thing was, uh, I forget who, who, who the quote was from, but, but back in the day, somebody was writing about his childhood, uh, uh, and the, the old Flash Gordon serials. And at that time he said that Buster Crabbe was the only person who actually looked as if he had a black line drawn around his body. 
meaning that it was really hard to cast somebody that could embody a superhero. Marvel managed to do it thoroughly and successfully and much more so, I think, than DC has always, with, with some exceptions, has, has kind of not been able to find that uh, sweet spot for the, for the superheroes. Some very good actors, but it, it hasn't worked as well. The, 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 the fact that you could get somebody who just was, was Thor, you immediately said, yep, that's Thor, or, or the Captain America. And I thought the Captain America movies were the best, of, the best things that they did. Uh, and uh, uh, but the fact that he had played this kind of snotty um, human torch, I think people have just almost forgotten that that Chris Evans did that before he did Captain America. When I heard he was playing Captain America, I said, "That's not Captain America," and then realized, well, the guy's an actor; he's he's the real thing. And all of these guys, you know, are a lot of times action heroes in the past were not the best actors in the world. The, they cast great actors. I mean, great actors in all of these roles. Downey Jr., of course. And, yeah. uh, you know, the only thing that uh, I thought was interesting uh, was uh, what they did with Hawkeye, which was, which was furthest of anybody from what he was in the book. Uh, and I think probably they did that because... Uh, uh, well acted. I mean, given what they did with Hawkeye, uh, what is his name? I'm I'm blanking. Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy yeah. Ren Renner. Uh, Renner's a, a wonderful actor and uh, and and has done very well with it. And on the TV series, they even let him have a little bit more of a sense of humor than in the, hmm. in the Avengers movies, which was a relief. Um, uh, but it fit, and I, I suspect that maybe. They gave the wisecracking stuff to Robert Downey Jr. and felt they had to do something different with, with Hawkeye. Uh, you know, if it had been if it had been the, the, uh, the West Coast Avengers type of Hawkeye, I think the person uh, to have played it would have been Chris Pratt. I think he would have been a perfect Hawkeye of that, of that kind. Uh, although he's lovely doing what he is doing, but but that's the only one that really I thought went in a different direction. The rest of them uh, really fleshed out what we had been doing. And, uh, and I was amazed. Plus the, the, a, a couple of the movies, uh, I think were, are just better than just being genre. The, the, the winter soldier, uh, Captain America one was, was just, I think the best, well, a lot of people agree with that. The best of the lot mm -hmm. in terms of being well done and, and doing, they did a lot of things that I think are kind of essential to superheroes. Uh, one being, what can this guy do that nobody else can do? And I thought what, one amazing moment was when he grabbed hold of a helicopter and a piece of railing and, and kept the helicopter from flying off. There is something about that that you can imagine trying to do that. I mean, you know you would fail, but you could imagine what that would have been like. And sometimes that's very necessary in superhero comics because it's easy to take them doing things so outlandish and so so removed from um, what a human normal what a normal human being could do 
that you watch with awe, but you, but it's very hard to empathize with. And you could you could empathize with moments in that. And of course, the the uh, fight in the elevator is a classic. It's one of the great great mm-hmm. film fights of all time. The uh, and I and I think the Winter Soldier is a great character, even if he is sort of. Uh, a combination of Jason Bourne meets the uh, six million dollar man, but true, true. Yeah, yeah. But but they 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 took it beyond that. They and again, wonderful actor makes a big difference. Uh, and I got to go to a premiere, so hey. Oh really? Wow. What premiere? Yeah, I think all of us who did the Avengers, at least from that era, uh, got eventually invited to a premiere, and they would give you. They, 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 they gave you 6,000 bucks and said, you can use this to come to a premiere or you can uh, uh, spend it on a refrigerator, whatever you want to do. <laughs> but you're invited to the premiere. And I thought, this is the only time I'm ever going to go to a premiere, probably. So I, I, I picked the premiere and, uh, and it was a lot of fun. You know, you were, you were a non-entity and you didn't get to meet anybody. I was going to say hello to Stan, but Stan was on was driving a cart, and it was very clear that he was um, requiring all of his focus just to be there and be. And, and so I never did. Uh, but and went I went with a a, a colleague of my wife's whose son is a guy named Finn Whitrock, who has is having a pretty darn good career. He hasn't quite starred in a movie yet, but he's had had really good uh, parts, and um, she said, "Well, take Kate. Paula couldn't. My wife couldn't come to couldn't come with me." But she said, "I have to take Kate Whitrock, who's uh, the colleague, to the to the uh, premiere, and and she can tell you what to do at a premiere." And so I said, "What what do I have to know about being at a premiere?" And she said. You only have to know one thing about being at a premiere. Nobody will be looking at you. (laughs) Whatever you do doesn't matter. Um, But yeah, poor Finn, he, he, uh, he was going to play, he was up for playing Green Lantern. Oh Oh, yeah. In the Marvel universe in the, in the DC universe. And then of course they've scrapped all of that stuff now. Right. Yeah. They they keep rebooting, and I know you worked on. I was going to ask you about I Joker, as well, because I, I was a big Elseworlds fan in the nineties too. That that was my my favorite thing at DC, uh, and uh, I loved working with Denny O'Neill, and uh, yeah, it just seemed like a logical kind of Elseworlds, uh, so that it was it was it was an Elseworlds, but it was also maybe not in Elseworlds because it was a possible future mm-hmm. uh, and uh, for those who don't have never read it, it it was the idea was that uh, and you can read it you can still buy that thing uh, uh, that the uh, legend of Batman had become the state uh, religion of Gotham and it had turned into a theocracy and every year there was a death race uh, this was before the Hunger Games. I, I, I didn't. It, it sounds a little like the Hunger Games, but uh, this was long before that. And they, uh, the God King of Gotham, who's the Batman of of, of that day, 
was the was really the villain of the story. And uh, at, at the death race, he he slowly kills off all of the traditional villains, and all of the enemies of the state are are uh, through plastic surgery made to look like the great Batman villains, and he chases them all down. But in this case, the Joker is uh, the hero, and uh, he eventually wins, and so he becomes then the Batman of, so the Joker becomes the Batman of that era. And it's one of those things that started with just the idea of how it would end. I knew it would end that way and that the last page would be a splash of the Joker in a Batman outfit. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so if that if that whets your appetite i'm sure you can still pick that up through your local comic store it, it is out there they've uh and they've released those on comiXology too some of them are out of print but uh that one is still out and around and, and one of my favorites that just takes that really interesting spin so i am uh, i i talked to, to denny i said one thing i want to do because he said I, I have a bunch of batman stuff you can do i've got people doing the 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 work, the, the monthly work, but, and I did one issue with the monthly work because he suddenly needed somebody to fill in one, but he said, that's, that's pretty filled up. So what you can do is all stuff that will be, they called it the prestige series, which mm -hmm. is almost an embarrassing thing to say. I did the prestige series at DC. It's a terrible name. Uh, but I, I managed to do uh, uh, three different projects with it before Denny retired. And, um, uh, I talked to Danny and said, one of the things I want to do is I want to wreck a Batmobile in every issue. That I do. <laughs> so, so that he has to go back in the Batcave and pull out, pull out old, old Batmobiles from, from before uh, to, to fill in the gap. So I got to draw the old, uh, uh, the real Batmobile. The real Batmobile to me is the one from the 40s with the big bat head on the front of it. I mean, it's never gotten better than that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Classic for sure. We're we're coming up to our last just about five minutes. It's been a really good conversation, um, and we really appreciate you stopping by the Comic Obsessive. We might have to be corny and and ask you to do a sign off or something for us. But uh, anything that we've not covered that uh, you want to make sure that we mention, we we got a couple of questions and things that we can go to. But uh, just to give the floor to you for a moment. Um... Just that I just finished doing a story for Valiant, which will be out at the Shadow Man story, and it'll be out on um, a free comic book day in May. Oh, okay. oh nice. Awesome. <clears throat> and I just did a, um, a cover for them for EXO that'll be out in June. So there. There you uh, And you will also be at um, Heroes Con this coming year. Is that correct? I'll be at Heroes Con and a whole bunch of others. So, uh, yeah, look, for, just just. Check out, check me out on uh, on Facebook. I usually post all of those things there. I'll be doing a one day con in Fort Myers, Florida, this coming weekend. Uh, then I will be doing the next after that will be uh, a one day con in Clarksville, uh, Tennessee. But I'll go, I'll drive straight from that to Lexington and do the Lexington con. So those are the next couple of things you can watch for. Awesome, awesome. And maybe we'll connect with you in person at 
uh, Heroes Con because we'll both likely be there as well. And I used to live close to Clarksville, I think, like Cleveland, Chattanooga, Tennessee, right through there. So, yeah, uh, some, it's so, there's somewhere in there. I expect that the airport for it is Nashville, but I decided to drive so I could go visit friends in. There's just enough time for me to spend some time with some friends in Versailles, Versailles, Kentucky. That's Versailles, spelled Versailles, but it's Versailles in in <laughs> Kentucky. Ah, uh, before right. I go to before I go to Lexington. All right. All right. So we usually like to end by saying stay obsessive, but uh, maybe maybe you can give us. Is, is it possible? It's is it too corny to say? I'm Bob Hall, and this is I'm I'm not Bob Hall. I'm I'm Jason Dehart. But is it is it too corny to close with saying I'm Bob Hall, and this has been the comic obsessive? Is that is that all right? Is that this is this is Bob Hall, and this has been the comic obsessive, and we should all be comic obsessive. So go out there and obsess everybody. <laughs>